chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. John chapter 14, starting verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am my Father, or in my Father, and that you in me, and I in you. He who has my command, commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what is it that you would manifest to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before he comes, or before if come, uh, before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love my Father, and may and that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Good evening, church. Thank you, Aaron. Well, I just love nights like tonight where we just got nowhere to be, no rush at all, nothing to do tonight. Just take a deep breath and maybe put some coffee on and spend a few hours in the Word, right? Yeah. In that thought, uh, if there's anyone who has a need tonight, you can come forward as we... Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. If it were the Steelers, we might not be kidding, right, Alan? <laughs> well, get your scuba gear back on and uh, put your mask over your mouth. We're going to dive back into the upper room and... If you're experiencing anything like I'm experiencing, um, as I plunge into this text, I almost feel like I'm drowning. It's intense. There's, there's a lot going on there. And if you were listening and just trying to absorb and capture what Aaron was reading as he was going through that, there, there's just highlights that, that pop off the page to you. 
And at the same time, there's deep perplexity. Like, like you just don't know what to chase, right? It's like, oh my goodness, you can have deep assurance that the Father loves you. But then, like, what does he mean about this? And he just sends you both places through and through, and it's so rich and it's so deep. And so we're going to continue tonight to see what we can do with the upper room. I know that it's been deep and it's been heavy throughout the month of January, and I want to make sure that our sermons and our preaching is useful to you, that it's helpful to you. And to do that, you got to make sure that we're on the same page with what we're trying to do together. We are trying, our aim, I should say, is to cultivate that each one of us individually would have a healthy, a vibrant relationship, a permanent bond with Jesus Christ, an attachment to Him. And what we're going to do tonight in the fourth part of our series is take the fourth step into the world of our relationship with Christ. These four steps that, we're, that we've taken so far, tonight will be the fourth, are progressive in development of relationship. And tonight we're going to culminate in what we are ultimately looking for, and that is the bond of love. The rest of the series, uh, we're going to do nine parts all together, so from five to nine, will have everything to do with maintaining and supporting and supplying this relationship. But this fourth one brings us to the culmination of where we're at. And so uh, let me just do a quick review with you where we've been as the series is entitled Bound Together. The first week, we went to John 13, 1 through, 1 through 20, where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he said this to Peter when he came to Peter, and he said, no, you can't wash my feet, Peter. Jesus said, unless I am the one who washes you, you're not going to have any part with me. Unless you receive what I have for you, Peter, unless you let me wash you, unless you let, you, unless you let me wash away from you what makes you unclean, you're not going to have anything to do with me. And so Jesus says at the beginning, you've got to receive me. And then he says, and as we saw in chapter 13, 21 through 38, he says, you can't just receive me, you've got to know me. And so those that have come to Jesus and wanted something from him, and then like Judas, left, and it was night, never to return, just wanting something out of the blue from Jesus, never really have a relationship with him. And we see this portrait of Judas and Peter bookending um, the end of the chapter of 13, where we see G Judas who knows nothing of the glory of Christ, doesn't understand what kind of king Jesus really is. And then we have Peter who might understand who Jesus is, but won't let him be who he is when he says, I can't let you die. And so the next step in relationship is actually knowing who Jesus is and then letting him be who he is. So we've got to receive from him what he is, begin to know him. And then he says, not just receive me and know me, but you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. And as we spoke about before, um, there's going to be, as we develop a relationship with anybody, especially with Christ, an ache of separation when you experience that. So as you grow closer to somebody, as you receive what they have for you and the gifts of them, and then you begin to know them for who they are, and then all of a sudden you begin to trust them, all of a sudden when there's separation, there becomes some ache. You don't want there to be separation anymore. And so Jesus says, trust my promises he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. In my Father's house, there are many places for you to dwell. I'm going to get that ready for you. You can trust that promise. 
When you're feeling the ache of separation, Jesus also gives you the perception of the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And from now on, you're going to see him and you're going to know him. You're going to be perceptive that in all the world, as you come alive spiritually, you're going to see maybe in the world or in the face of a child or in relationship, the presence of God. And then he also gives us the participation in the work of God. When he says, greater works than I do, you're going to do. And anything you ask in my name, I'll certainly do it for you. You can participate with him. And you can trust him because he makes this provision to the Father for you. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. You can't come to the Father unless you have it through me. So Jesus has called us to receive him. He's called us to know him. He's called us to trust him. But this final step in relationship, Jesus is going to say tonight that you've got to love me. If you really want an eternal bond with Jesus, an attachment to him, a healthy relationship that transcends time and space, that, that combines you together, Yes, you're going to have to receive what he offers. You're going to have to know who he is. You're going to have to trust him when there's an ache of separation. But you're ultimately going to have to love him. You're going to have to love him. We're going to talk about that tonight. So, ten times in our text, Jesus says, I, he, or we will, will do something. I will do this. He will do that. We will do this. Ten times Jesus says, I, he, or we are going to do something. We will. And he speaks of it with great certainty. He doesn't attach conditions to it. He doesn't say, I wonder if. He doesn't say, I hope this comes to pass. He says, I, he, or we will do something. And what he says, nine times out of the ten, nine times out of the ten, those I, he, or we will statements revolve around a permanent divine presence in the life of the believer. A permanent divine presence of God. And this divine presence that the believer can now know and be aware of is one that brings great blessing to the life. Did you catch some of the things that Jesus said? Like, you will know that the Father loves you. And then he says, Peace I give you, this deep assurance of peace. And then he says, your heart won't be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. So we have assurance of love, absence of fear, presence of peace. Because God is now fully Emmanuel, God with us, his presence. So tonight I want to do two really simple things as Uh, There's so much to do with this text, as I've said, and every time that we've come to a passage in the upper room, you could spend a lot of time in it. There's two really simple things I want to do with you tonight, let you think about it, and hopefully we'll grow from it. One is look at the who, who is going to be with us, whose presence is going to be with us. And I want to answer the second question that Judas, not Iscariot, asked Jesus when he says, how will we know that we have the presence of God? How do you know? This is a massive question. You see, the the questions that the disciples ask in the upper room are not ignorant or ill-informed. They're actually keys that unlock deep understanding. And they're the very questions that, whether we know it or not, our hearts are asking. And so here, Judas asks this question, how will you really manifest yourself to us, Jesus? 
How will we know you, we have your presence? And if you're a believer here tonight, what, what an important question, right? If somebody asked you, you know, is God with you? Is God in you? And you answered yes, and they said, well, follow up. How do you know? It's an important question. And it's important not only for you and your awareness, but it's also important for us to not be led astray by things that are not God and not his presence that may come across as other things like emotions or feelings that can really, really become confusing to us. So I hope that we can be helpful tonight in answering these two questions. The first question, who is going to be with us? I want to answer quickly for you. And I'm going to answer quickly because on March 1st, so one month from now, we're going to come back to this topic. Jesus speaks again in John chapter 16 more in depth about the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to come back on March the 1st and talk more in depth about what actually this being does in us. Okay, So I just want to give you a quick thumbnail of the who and spend more of our time on the functional part of how we know. So first of all, there are three sections of Scripture that tell us about the who. And what Jesus does in such a subtle yet masterful way is braid together a Trinitarian understanding of God. The three sections are verses 15 to 17, verses 18 to 21, and then verses 23 and 24. And what Jesus does there shows us a Trinitarian view of who's with us. And what we're going to get into here in just a moment is the depth and the mystery of the Trinity. So as we talk through this, as we come to a conclusion of talking about the who is with us, uh, don't be surprised if you walk away saying, okay, I'm not sure I fully get it, but okay. Because there's a depth to the Trinity that actually has to be beyond your understanding if he's really God. If you can fully conceptualize God, that means that we're equal to him. And there's something beyond him. There's something bigger than us that should leave us like he's God and not me. So let me show you the three movements here in the scripture. 15 through 17 show us the Holy Spirit as God. Uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's notice a couple things here. There's um, a word that in your Bible study, if you're ever doing like, like, like uh, in-depth Bible study, it's called a crucial word that you've got to pluck out of here. And that word is when Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you, here's the word, another, another. Now there are two ways to understand the word another. One is, I don't like this sandwich, can you get me another? Meaning, I would like a different sandwich, one that is not the same as this sandwich because this sandwich is one that I don't like, so I would like one of different substance, of different materials, of different ingredients, because this one is not satisfying, therefore, can you get me another? Does that make sense? One of different substance. But the second way that we use the word another is, oh my goodness, that roast that you made is just delicious. Could you make another tomorrow night? And if I asked you that question or made that request to you, I would be asking you to give me the exact same thing that I had before. What we just experienced was so good. I don't want you to change anything. I want the same substance. I want the same ingredients. I want you to take the same steps. So I want of the same kind another, not a different version. And when Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another, 
he is saying of the same kind. Not the first example, the second example. This is really important because that means that there's a first. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give another, and he calls him helper. Uh, how many of you have the word comforter? Anybody have the word comforter in your Bible? He'll give you another comforter. Um, this is one of those words in the Bible like the word glory that is so deep and hard to define. The word in the Greek is paraclete, which just really means if you put the words together, one who is called to come along beside. And so there's a lot to it. Um, in the old uh, translation, they would use the word comfort. And that meant a lot back then. We think of the word comfort now as just easing sorrow. So uh, you must be hurting. And so let me comfort you. Or maybe you're without some things. So let me bring you something and provide comfort. But it's much deeper than that. Some of you may have the word helper or strengthener, something along those lines. It has all to do with that. And what Jesus is saying is, I have been your paraclete right now. Your comforter, your strengthener, you're the one who gives you courage, the one who helps, the one who intercedes and intermediate or mediates for the divine for you. I've been that for you, wearing skin. I've worn flesh and I've been God with you. And then as I go away, if you love me and keep my commandments, I'll ask the Father, he'll send you another of the same kind to be with you forever. Just like me, to be with you forever. Now let's notice the nature of this presence with us. Jesus says three things about it. The first thing he says is it'll be with us forever, eternally. The second thing he says is that he will dwell with you. Dwell with you. Now, hopefully in March 1st we'll do more with this, this phrase there, but I just want to tip you off to something that's so intriguing here. This word, dwell with you forever, or dwell, he'll dwell with you, is the same word that Jesus uses in verse 2 when he says, in my Father's house are many places to dwell. Same word. So Jesus is going away to create place for you to dwell with God. And then he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and dwell with you, abide with you. And then in chapter 15, Jesus is going to say this, you should abide in me and abide in my love. There's a lot to that. Jesus is playing off of this word to remain and make your home with something. It has a connotation of marriage that says, I'm not leaving, I'm here and I'm in to dwell with. The last thing he says about this Holy Spirit, this uh, third of the Trinity, he says that he will dwell with us and be in us. And that phrase, be in us, is where we actually get the phrase where God says, I am that I am. I exist. And so he says God is going to exist. And then the like Jesus, the paraclete, who John calls him in 1 John 2, the paraclete, but he's not going to dwell in skin, he's not going to have flesh, just like Jesus did. He's going to actually dwell in us, not just next to us. That's what he says about the Holy Spirit. So that's part of it. We'll talk more about that later. The second part, verse 18 through 21, it says that Jesus will come to us. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Um, this is a common phrase for rabbis and disciples in Jesus' day. The, the disciple would spend a lot of time with the rabbi. And if he died, many of the disciples would feel fatherless, like left without the one that they were following. And Jesus says, 
Yes, I'm going to die, but I won't leave you without, desolate, as orphans. And then he says, I will come to you and I will manifest myself to you. I'll show you myself. We'll talk more about that later. The third movement is verses 23 and 24. See, I forgot to do this. Sorry about that. The Holy Spirit. Those are good points, huh? Jesus Christ will not leave us orphans. He'll come and he'll manifest himself to us. We'll be able to see and perceive him in our lives. And then he finally says, the Father. Uh, Notice down in verse 23. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me and keeps my word, my Father will love him and we will come to him and we'll make our home with him. There's that word abide again. So the Holy Spirit's going to abide in us. The Father's going to abide in us. Jesus is preparing a place for us to abide with God. And he's going to tell us ultimately to abide in his love. We'll talk more about that later. So we have who is going to dwell in us and with us. What is the presence? It's the Trinity, the God of the universe, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. But what I want to do is deal with the functional part of this. The question, how do you know God is with you. So a major part of the New Testament um, has much to do with not telling you just things to do, but telling you realities about what it's like to be a Christian. It tells you what's true about you already, things that you may not already know. Like Paul, when he says, I pray that God would open your eyes so that you might see what is already true about you, that you might know this. He says in Colossians 1, in that introduction, that his goal and his mission is that he would mature Christ in you, who's already in you, but he wants to see Christ become mature in you. And so the question of how do we know is very, very important. We've got to ask that. And so Judas asked this question. This is not a scary. Most likely it's Jude. And he says in verse 22 uh, to Jesus, Lord, how is it? that you're going to manifest yourself, that is, to make yourself clear and known to us, but not to the world. How will you go about doing this? And so there's two things that we see in Jesus' answer um, throughout this text that are going to point this to us. First of all, there's the preparation from us. See, there's preparation on our part to be able to perceive that God is with us, to know God is with us. And then there's a promise or a provision from God himself. So let's work our way through this. First of all, our preparation. Jesus says three different times. You notice in each one of those sections that I pointed out to you about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, there's a phrase, and it's this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever loves me is the one who keeps my commandments. Well, how you manifest yourself, Jesus? Well, whoever has my word and keeps it, he's the one who loves me. Three times Jesus says that it is the pure, true, adoring love that we have for Christ that is our preparation that allows us to know we have God in our lives. It is that part of it. A true love for Christ is the bottom line, baseline requirement to know that you have his presence with you. You will never know that you have the presence of God in your life if you don't love him. You will never know that you have Christ working in you, that you have the Holy Spirit in your life if you don't have at your core a love for Christ. Now, I want to caution you here as we read these three sentences. Um, you know, the, the if you love me, you'll keep my commandments sentences. 
Because our selfish and greedy hearts sometimes can want the reward or maybe even just the lack of the punishment. Fearful of ourselves or desiring of ourselves. And sometimes we don't always want the giver of the reward, God. Sometimes we just want the reward. Let me have heaven or keep me out of hell, but I don't necessarily want you, God. And when that is our motivation, here's how you'll listen to these verses. I guess I just have to obey God, and that means I love him. Just do what he says, right? I, you know, that, that's how he knows I love him. If I just do what he says and get it over with and just you know, read through the scriptures and see the things I have to do, and if I just do the things I have to do, that's, how God, that, that's what love is to God, just doing what he says to do. Here's the caution. If his statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, is description, not prescription. You've got to catch the difference there. It's subtle. It's description, not prescription. What he's saying is, if you have within you a love for me, let me describe what that will look like. You'll keep my commandments. It's not prescription which says, keeping my commandments is how you get to loving me. Does that make sense, that, that difference? He's saying, if within you, you have a love for me that is generated the way that love is supposed to be generated, you'll keep my commandments, I tell you. That's the description of love. Prescription here is, uh, whatever, I just, I don't want to go to hell. That sounds really terrible. So I'll do what he says, and that's what he calls love, even though there's nothing really connecting us. I just do what he says. Here's the meaning behind that. Let me, let me give it to you this way. You can obey Christ and actually not love him. You can obey some of the things he says and not love him. But you cannot love Christ and not obey him. You cannot. You cannot say, I love Christ and then not obey him. Because true, genuine love for Christ is obedience to him. That's where it is. And so let me make some sense of this. Jesus here is qualifying what true love is. That is humble. True love is submissive. True love is obedient to the will of the one that you love. And so to exert your will, your personal will, above the will of the one that you say you love is not love at all. Really, if you exert your will above the will of the person you say you love, you really, 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 you know, really think this person is going to love me the way it is. But, but, but I just want my will more than I want yours. Is really saying, I love what you give me, but I still love myself. You follow me or am I getting too esoteric? If you hold on to your individual selfish will, yet maintain that you love God. You love what God gives you, but you don't love God. Because you don't know his will yet. Spoiler, his will is to love you. Okay, let's keep going. Laying aside your will to another is what true love is. And at the same time, to our flesh, it's truly scary. And I think we should just pause for a moment and acknowledge that. That laying down our will, laying our life down, to take up the will of another is a very scary thing. Brings a lot of fear, anxiety, trepidation, and it should. Because 
loving friends is risky. It's investing in somebody else. So the question is, how do we develop this kind of love for God? How do we develop the kind of love that is completely humble and obedient to God? How do you develop the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here? And that's first and foremost, as we have here, you learn from God that you are loved. First John 4, 7 says that, beloved, love is from God. Love comes from God. And when we learn that God has loved us, we return that love to him. And he talks then in that text about giving back to God our love because he has sent his son Jesus to die for us. He's been a propitiation for us and he's given him to us. What God has done for us, his demonstration of love and his will for us, when we finally look at it and honestly evaluate it, tells you what love is. And it produces in you a love for God. So then the question is, how do you really learn that you're loved? If God loving me is what produces my love for God, if that's the, the biblical witness, where do I learn about this? And how do I keep that fresh in my mind? How do I keep feeding myself the thing that produces a love back for God that will give me the assurance of his presence? How do I feed that to me? Listen to what 1 John 2 says. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Now read that carefully. Whoever keeps, holds on to, treasures, plants deep into their heart, doesn't let anything attack it, doesn't let anything choke it out, whoever holds on to and treasures the Word of God, in that person John is promising, God's love in you will become perfected. You will know how much you're loved, and you will return that love to God. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember what he said in John 14? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Keep the commandments. Then he says, whoever loves me will keep the commandments. The commandments. And then he says, whoever has my word and keeps it, he's the person that will love me. You catch that? Whoever has my word and keeps it, he's the person who will love me. Now, there's another part where this sounds very familiar. Remember the story that Jesus told about the sower and the seed? He told Mark 4, Matthew 13, a sower goes out to sow, and he talks about the four different soils. When he come back, comes back to explain it, do you remember what he says about the seed? He says, the seed is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. And then there are four different types of soil. And he says the soil is where the heart that it's planted into. And then there's a hard soil. And then there's a soil that is going to experience trial and it doesn't last. And there's a soil that has other things that it loves besides the Word of God. And it is unfruitful. And then there's a soil that treasures the Word deep inside of it. And it bears forth fruit. Now at this point, in Matthew 13, when I'm studying, my like processor starts to smoke. Let me tell you why. In the upper room, you have somebody who walks out and the seed that was planted of them has nothing to do with them, Judas. And Jesus, at the end of John 15, is going to tell you that you're going to suffer and face trial for the word of God being in you. And also, we see in Peter and others that there are going to be things that choke out the fruitfulness of the word. In John 15, Jesus says, if you're not fruitful, you're cut away and thrown off. But then he says, if you abide in me, you'll be fruitful. Do you see the connection between the sower and the seed? The word being treasured in your heart and producing this love? 
Wow. This is where it just started to smoke. So let me do it this way for you. Uh, because what we're getting to, if you can see, if you can kind of like, you know, see the, the, the track that I'm on, the Word of God matters. You've got to study it. You've got to look at it. You've got to read it. You've got to know it. You've got to treasure it. You've got to cultivate the space for it to live. But let me do it this way, okay? Let, let me try to appeal to you this way. Why is, it, why is the Word of God so important in producing love in you for God and clarifying that God's presence is with you? The Word of God is what it takes, okay? Here's why it's so important. When Jesus said to you, our primary responsibility is to love God. What's the most important commandment? To love God. Jesus is not laying a burden on you, nor is he seeking to make an exchange with you like he has something held ransom. Like, I have eternal life, and if you want this eternal life, you're going to have to pay the ransom of your love. Jesus is not doing that as if you have something that God is without, saying, I've got what you want, you've got what I want, let's make a deal. Do you see what I mean? He's not laying a burden on you that way when he says, love me with all your heart. What Jesus is doing is revealing a truth about your heart. You were designed by God to love the divine. Created that way. Wired that way. Manufactured and engineered to be a being that loves something divine. And when we don't love the divine, we will take the good gifts he's given us, a job, a spouse, a child, and we will love that thing like it's divine. We'll make it a God. Does that make sense? You were created to love a divine being. And so when, God, when Jesus says to you, love the Lord your God with everything, he's not saying, this is going to be hard, but you know, you got to suck it up so you get heaven. He's saying, I know your heart, I made it. And until you love a divine being, you're going to take things and make them divine and love them like they're God. And your life will be out of balance and you'll be restless. And the things that you're loving like gods that are not gods will never be able to give to you what God was supposed to give you. Peace and rest and fulfillment. They'll always disappoint. The Word of God matters. Secondly, you will give your primary love to the one you trust the most. The one you're sure that loves you the most. The one that promises you the most. And the one that knows you the most. That's where you're going to give your love. So here's why Scripture is so vital. Here's why it matters. In God's Word, you learn the one who knows you the most. If you read Scripture with an open mind, it will scare you how much God knows about your heart. It will... Whoa. Sam just showed me last week, he was, or a couple weeks ago, he was reading in Genesis 4, he's doing the daily reading. It just popped off the page to him when, when, uh, when the Bible says Genesis 4, that sin is crouching at your door. But if you'll master it, you'll be accepted. It just popped off. I'm not saying that it pointed to your heart, Sam, but it probably did, right? God just reveals to us. Scripture reveals that God knows you better than you know yourself. Scripture reveals the one who promises you the most. The treasures that your heart really longs for, God is promising them to you if you'll read them in Scripture. Scripture reveals to you the one who loves you the most. The one, is done, the one who has done for you what you expect from everything that you love, but they can never give it. 
full sacrifice, full commitment, full devotion, unwavering devotion, Scripture reveals the one that's done that for you. Do you see how important Scripture is? And at the same time, God's Word also teaches you who this one is. God's Word reveals God and His attributes, His characteristics, His quality, His spirit, His will, what He does, what He doesn't do. In the Word of God, you get the clearest picture of who loves you and then who that one is. And so it also shows you what the fruit of His life in you is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And then He also shows you what it does to your life if you'll trust Him and how you can grow and how you can change. This is how you become aware of God's presence in your life. When you see the truth of who He is and then you look into your world and your life and you recognize the similarities. You see, without the Word of God, every emotional experience, every divine moment of your life has no tether to say that was God or that wasn't God. So how are you going to know God's in your life? How are you going to know the presence of God is really there and what's really happening is really from God or not from God? Scripture tells you who God is, what God does. And if you don't have that, all you have is emotional experience that you're going to attach to something that you think is God but might not be God. Scripture is trying to reveal to you the one to whom you should love and the one to whom is near you. And it clarifies with a white hot heat who God really is and what his presence really is. Without his word, you are left with a desire for the divine, but nothing to go by. And so you'll confuse good feelings for God and bad feelings for not having God when actually it may be the opposite. Okay? And so this provision from God is this. Do you see what Jesus said in verse 26? Look what the Holy Spirit really does for you. But the Holy Spirit, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Look what he does. Oh, I forgot. There you go. He teaches you and he reminds you of the words of Jesus. Interesting, right? He teaches you and reminds you. Scripture. You see, the word of Christ is the source of our love for him and our assurance of his presence in our lives. But near the end of our text here, at this night, Jesus came to a moment where he actually stopped talking. He came to a moment where he said he had to stop. When he's down in verse 30, he says, I'm no longer going to talk much with you. Jesus came to a moment where he said, I don't have much left to say because the written word that's going to come to you later can't just tell you what I've said, but also what I've done. And he says he turns to the end and he, Jesus listens to the word from his father and is obedient like he has called us to do. Verse 30 says, I no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. His obedience called for his death for us. The cosmic justice of God a holy and righteous God would require himself to die for us. But he would not remain dead. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back to you. I'm not going to remain dead. I will resurrect back to life because the Father will accept my offering, my sacrifice for you. And because I live, Jesus says in verse 20, you also will live. 
It's the resurrected Jesus that now gives us spiritual life. And that spiritual life is what now allows us to see not only how we can love God, but how we can know we have his presence through Jesus, because of Jesus, and for Jesus. The presence of God is life-changing. We certainly would want you to have that and live in that and have the assurance of the presence of God. Don't miss life without that. If we can help you, you can come as we stand and sing. to thy heart draw me my Savior so precious thou art fold me oh fold me close to thy breast shelter me safe in that haven of rest shelter me safe in that haven of rest nearer still nearer nothing i bring not as an offering to Jesus my King, only my sinful, now contrite heart, grant me the cleansing blood doth impart. Grant me the cleansing thy blood doth impart. Nearer, still nearer, Lord, to be thine. Sin with its follies I resign all of its pleasures, pomp and its pride. Give me but Jesus, my Lord, crucified. Give me but Jesus, my Lord, crucified. Near, still nearer, while life shall last, till safe in glory my anchor is cast through endless ages ever
Near my Savior, still near to thee. Near my Savior, still near to thee. Please be seated. If you didn't have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, the table is still spread, and if you want to have a seat up in one of the front two pews here during this song, um, you will be served after the song's over. He paid a debt he did not owe, I owed a debt I could not pay, I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. He paid that debt at Calvary. He cleansed my soul and set me free. I'm glad that Jesus did all my sins erase. I now can sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your Son, and Father, for the love that was shown to us Uh, by you through him. Father, we're thankful for your willingness to allow Jesus to go to that terrible cross to suffer the terrible things that he did. 
Father, so that we could have assurance of a home in heaven if we will live our lives in faithful service to you all the days of our lives while we live here on this earth. And we just pray that you'll help us to do that. Help us never, Father, to lose sight of how much you love and care for us and, and what a wonderful Savior that we have. Father, thank you for being such a wonderful Father that we can come to and and in thanksgiving, Father, and uh, in prayer, and, and Father, each and every day of our lives as we as we go through each and every day. Father, to be reminded so many ways how much you love and care for us, Father. Help us as we partake of the bread that re represents the uh, pure body of your Son. Father, help us to be thankful for how much you love and care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear Lord, we come before Thee now thanking Thee for Thy love and thanking Thee for sending Jesus and His willingness to lay down His life and to shed His precious blood. And dear Lord, we're thankful for this fruit of the vine that represents that blood. And dear Lord, may we um, take it in remembrance of the sacrifices made. These things are pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Again, we thank you for the that you bless us, Father. Father, we could have been born in any other place in this world. But we were born in this country where we have uh, so many freedoms and privileges, Father, that, uh, that I just know, Father, we take for granted. Father, we could have where we don't have the freedom to worship you. Father, we know that our lives could be in danger for doing what we're doing right now. And I know there's, there's people in this world, Father, who 
who are afraid of, of losing their lives or at least being uh, molested in some way, Father, for expressing their, their love for you. We just, just pray that you will help us to be thankful, Father, for everything that you do for us, everything that you give us. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to to give back only a small portion of all that you blessed us with. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Close with this song, and then we'll have our uh, announcements and our closing prayer. <clears throat> In his presence, there is comfort. In his presence, there is peace. When we seek the Father's heart. We will find such blessed assurance in the presence of the Lord. In this evening, we're very thankful for each one that could be out with us. Thank you, Anthony, for that lesson. Um, again, from the bulletin today, I want to remind you about some upcoming meetings, the Youth Missions meeting, February the 15th. That's also the day that we'll be having the congregational potluck uh, to honor Ben O'Neill. And also there's a caregiver support group on the 15th. Um, there's a ladies' Bible class this coming Saturday the 7th here at the building. Winter Home Bible Studies, uh, the South Group will meet Tuesday evening at 7 at the Nunez's, and the North Group will meet at Dolores White's on Tuesday at 7, and a weekday adult Bible class uh, here at the building this Thursday at 10 a.m. So a lot of opportunities uh, there for, um, for meeting, for Bible studies, and for growth. Um, in our sick list that's in the bulletin. We mentioned this morning Mary Dye's sister-in-law, and unfortunately, Mary reports that she passed away this afternoon, so we're very sorry for that. She had a massive heart attack a few days ago and passed today. Please remember Mary and her family in your prayers. Also mentioned this morning, of course, to be praying for both uh, Pat Reisinger and uh, Tanya Thomas will be undergoing surgery soon, and I didn't know this morning, but in addition, um, Tiffany Wilson is also going to be having surgery, I believe this coming Friday she will be, and also Renee Brown's father.